Well, good morning again, and uh, thank you for coming. I know Pat's working with the kiddos this morning, and uh, Heather wanted to be here, but she worked big day yesterday, and uh, so she let me know she couldn't make it. And uh, have you ever heard the? Have you ever heard that if if you want more energy, you should exercise? Doesn't that sound like? Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't sound like that would that would work, but. If you want to have more energy and more strength, you need to exercise. And so that that seems like it's uh, not right. But the same is kind of true with suffering. We, uh, we, we don't think that suffering would make us better. And yet uh, the book of James tells us that, uh, you know, to count it all joy when you suffer because the trying of your faith worketh patience. And, uh, you know, we, we, we read in the book of James, chapter 5, that uh, Job is known for his patience. But the Bible says that uh, the way we get patience is through tribulation. The Bible says, tribulation worketh patience. And so, I think all of us wish we were more patient. But, to be honest, we don't want more tribulation do we and yet that's how we get it and so there's some things here in in the book of Job that are like Jim said maybe counterintuitive but what we are seeing is we are we have front row seats to watch Job's tribulation and we already saw his loss of possessions his loss of his children the loss of his servants and all this, uh, even the loss of his health, the loss of fellowship with his wife. And now his friends are more or less telling him that he's got sin in his life, that all these things are happening for a reason. Uh, Eliaphaz is saying that, you know, if you really were righteous, you wouldn't be going through this. And so today we're going to see the second half of. Eliaphaz's communication with Job. So this is the first round of... There's like three rounds of discussions with his friends. So it's Job and three friends. And so Eliaphaz is going to talk here. Then we're going to hear Job respond. And then I think it's Bildad and then Zophar. So these are his three friends. And this is their conversation to him. And at the top of your handout, I gave you a quote again today. And uh, I really don't know a lot about this J.C. Ryle, but I know he's kind of a famous preacher. But he, he said this about trials. He says, trials are intended to make us think, to wean us from the world, to send us to the Bible, to drive us to our knees. And so I just thought that was a good quote by that uh, good preacher, J.C. Ryle. And so uh, we're going to see a life as he, he, he has been thinking about Job's trial. He, he sat with him for seven days and seven nights without speaking. And in Job, in Job chapter 4, he broke his silence. But today we're going to look at Job chapter 5. And so if you want to turn to Job chapter 5... And um, if we if we reflect back to Job four seven, this is what he tells Job in four seven. 
He says, Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? So he's implying that Job is not innocent. So we're going to see that all three of his friends, and even the fourth, Elihu, they conclude that Job has sin in his life. And so that's what I put on your handout there. Uh, We might look at a a couple others. Uh, Turn over to Job 34. Job 34. I think this one was pretty... I looked all these up this morning. One of them I, I... One of them I think is a bad reference. But Job 34. And, uh... Job thirty four thirty seven. Uh, somebody want to read that? Belinda, you got thirty four thirty seven. All right, and so at the beginning of the chapter, this is Elihu speaking, and he's saying that Job is adding rebellion unto his sin. So. Not only is he sinning, but he's rebelling. So these are his friends, and they're they're telling him that he has a sin in his life. And Job Job never professes not to be a sinner. Uh, he he maintains his integrity. Uh, if anything, he is a little bit self righteous, and we'll we'll see that as we go along. But. Uh, if you remember right, in Job chapter 1 and Job chapter 2, God says that he's perfect, he's upright, he fears God, he eschews or he hates evil. And so he has a lot of things going for him. He is uh, God's servant. And he even challenges the devil. It's like, you know, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him? And uh, the devil says, well, yeah, I would like to consider him and uh, I believe if he if you take away your hand of protection from him and he's only serving you because you have blessed him if you take that away he'll curse you and God says okay go ahead and uh, take away everything he has including his health but but don't take his life and uh, I I don't know uh, if you ever think about this but uh, we have two dogs, and Angie will like this. And lately, since it's nice weather, I've been walking our dogs. And when I walk our dogs, uh, we have prong collars. Does everybody know what a prong collar is? It, it's kind of got. They're not really. They're not sharp spikes, but if you pull on it, it'll it'll pinch them. And so if, and I've kind of wondered. You know what would happen if I took the took the dog collars off? I mean, probably they would just run away. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, you th- you think about this. What what if what if you had no restrictions? What if you were given all the money you needed? You know, all the food, all all the whatever you wanted. Would you still walk with God? And essentially, that's that's what. God does. God just kind of steps back and he's like the devil, you know, go ahead and do anything you want to him and let's just see. If I'm not protecting him, if I'm not blessing him, if I'm not helping Job, will he still serve me? I, I think of that about that with our dogs and 
And, I mean, I know human nature somewhat. I, I am a human, and uh, I, it's just kind of a what if I didn't have the Holy Spirit? What if I was just left to myself without any restraints? If, if, if we didn't have the Word of God, you know, would we still worship and serve and follow the Lord? And... Um, but but Job does. I just thought. I mean, I, I just kind of have a higher level of respect uh, for this man, and you know, it's really this study has helped me kind of think uh, what he must feel like. His his friends kind of turn on him here. His wife has already kind of turned on him. And so, if somebody would let's, let's go back to Job chapter five, and let's read verses one and two. Uh, Zach, do you want to read this morning? 5, 1, and 2? Yeah. Call now. If there be any that will answer thee, and to which of the saints wilt thou return? For wrath killeth the foolish, and envy slayeth the soul. Okay. And I, I want to look at uh, the foolish man here in just a minute. But uh, I wanted to point out that this is not, a, in verse 1, it's not a reference to like Catholic saints. Uh, in the Bible, almost always saints is a reference to people that are living. And I gave you my examples from Philippians chapter 1 because it talks about to the bishops and deacons that are at Philippi along with all the saints there. So Paul is writing to the saints that are in Philippi. And so those are people that are alive. And the reason I say it's not Catholic saints just because of the way the Bible defines it. And I also gave you a definition on your handout. It's a person that's sanctified, a holy or godly person, one eminent for piety and virtue, is particularly applied to the apostles and other holy persons in Scripture. And then I gave you the reference of saints or people in the Bible that are alive, but... I have a little bit of a listing of some of the Catholic saints here I thought I would read to you. Of course, they have uh, St. Mary, St. Joseph, and St. John the Baptist. Uh, But there's also St. Francis of Assei for animal lovers, St. Sebastian for athletes, St. Matthew for the bankers, St. Martin for the beggars, St. George for Boy Scouts, St. Julian for the circus people, St. Bites for the comedians, St. Bridget Bridget for the dairy workers, St. Pollyanna for the dentists, St. Florian for the firemen, St. Andrew for the fishermen, St. Morris for the infantrymen, and St. Christina for lunatics. Yeah, so that's a list of some of the Catholic saints. Huh? 
Yeah, it's it's it almost sounds you know in in Hinduism they have kind of a god for days of the week and god for the crops and so it's uh, similar. So uh, anyway, basically Elihu is saying, who, who are you going to turn to? And of course he is turning to God and he has made his petition. And uh, I thought we would look at just a little bit of reference to foolish men in Proverbs. So let's hold our place here and, and turn over to Proverbs for a minute. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. <clears throat> And let's just go through these, uh, the second line there, the Proverbs 14.7. Let's go to that one. And uh, Pam, I'll have you read that, Proverbs 14.7. And Emmett, you take 15.20. Welcome the presence of a foolish man, and thou perceivest not in him, for which is knowledge. Okay. 15.20. And, and so th- think with me as we're reading these that Eliphaz is calling Job like a foolish man or a silly man. And now uh, 19.3, uh, Jim. And the man of wisdom is like the Lord. Sherry. Yeah. So again, these are just characteristics of a foolish man that doesn't honor his mother. He spends up his his wealth, and then twenty nine nine uh, Angie. If a wise man contendeth with a foolish man, whether he rage or laugh, there is no rest. See how foolish man, no matter what you're doing, there's no rest. That's one of the things Pat Pat would always tell me, that there's always drama in the life of of the addicted person. There's just always drama. And that that sounds like this foolish man. He's just, there's no rest. And then uh, I'll read the Matthew 7, 26. I think this is about the foolish man builds his house on the sand. 7.26 of Matthew. And, and everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which buildeth his house upon the sand. And so uh, the rains come and the winds and, and it, the, his house falls because it was founded upon sand, upon the shifting sand instead of the rock of Jesus Christ. So just a lot of, of truth there in these these few verses about a foolish person. And so in uh, back in Job 5, in verse 3, 5-3 says, I have seen the foolish taking root, but suddenly I cursed his habitation. And it... Uh, I think what that's saying is that that uh, Eliphaz is kind of standing back as a you know as kind of the do you know what an armchair quarterback is? What what is that? 
What do you think, Belinda? You laughed. A couch potato. It, <laughs> kind of a couch potato. Well, they think they know to play better than the actual quarterback. Yeah, like if you're you're sitting at home, you know, drinking or eating whatever, and you're watching the game, and you're like, well, if I was the coach, I would have run this kind of play, or if I was on the field, I would, you know, he kind of on the outside. So he's on the Eliphaz on the outside saying, Job, I saw this coming, bro. It's like God's been blessing you with all this wealth, but I kind of knew as soon as you lost it that you know this was going to happen to you. And because He mentions the word root, I have seen the foolish taking root. So you know I knew this was curse coming because you just had it too good for so long, and you got this hidden sin, and so it's finally catching up with you, my friend. And now. I, I really feel like verse 4 is kind of a below-the-belt punch. Look, look at five, uh, 4 and 5. Um, Pam, I, I think I'm going to start with you there again. I had Zach read 1 and 2. Would you read 4 and 5? Yeah, so, I mean, could you imagine telling this to a guy that just lost his ten kids? He's like, foolish people's children are far from safety. They are crushed in the gate. And that's what happened to his kids. They were crushed. Remember, the the house fell on them in in chapter 1. And and he he goes on. I mean, he's like, and there's there's not there isn't anybody to deliver them. He's like, Job, you weren't there to help your kids. And verse five that Pam read uh, about this harvest being eaten up, and the robbers swallowed up their. Son. He, he's acknowledging that these robbers from Babylon, and the I think it was it the Sidonians or Sabaeans. They uh, swallowed. They they robbed him, and they took away his substance. So, these are actually things that happened to him. And uh, doesn't doesn't that sound pretty bad to try to point out why your kids have died? What were you gonna say, Belinda? And the very thing that he was claiming would not happen to his children. Yeah, yeah. He was praying that there. Yeah. Yep. So you're you're right. He. He did say that. So, anyway, uh, Emmett, let's let's pick up with verse six, seven, and eight. Would you read those three? Although affliction cometh not forth of the dust, neither the trouble spring out of the ground. That man is born of trouble, as the sparks fly up. Okay. With the seed and the garden. Yep. Yeah, you read verse 8. Yeah, seek unto God. Would I commit my cause? Yep. So, yeah, verses uh, 5, 6, or 6, 7, and 8 there, that man is born into trouble. And so, a lot of what Eliphaz is saying is true. And he talks about this sparks flying upward. 
Um, We've all sat around a campfire, and uh, this is just kind of a law of nature that your know, hot air rises, and so that's why at your house, your registers are usually on the floor next to the ground. Your warm air comes in low, and it just naturally raises. And uh, if we, it would be more efficient even to put. You know, duct work in your ceiling for air conditioning would come down, but we use the same ducts. But uh, anyway, uh, he, he's just saying just naturally people are born into trouble. And so what I put on your handout, just, uh, we all have a sin nature, don't we? And so we, we are born with a sin nature because, you know, Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So the devil sinned, and he tempted Eve to sin, and Adam sinned, and so Adam, we are descendants of Adam, and so we have this sin nature. But what Emma read there in verse 6, he's saying affliction, affliction cometh not forth of the dust. In other words, he's saying... The re- he's, he's telling Job historically this affliction that's come to you is because of your sin. So not only do we have a sin nature, but we also sin, we have sins. And so we don't have to teach our children to sin. We just naturally take what's not ours and we are naturally prone to lie or make ourselves look better or get out of trouble or we might hit somebody or... You know, we naturally do. So we have a sin nature and we we have sin. And so I, anyway, that uh, but we're we're born with that because of Adam's sin. Having a little trouble? <laughs> so, so anyway, my uh, my teaching point here is that Eliaphaz knows a lot of truth. And he knows a lot about God, but the real issue is having the wisdom to know when and where to apply the knowledge we have. So, wisdom is what I had you put in your second blank. And we we know wisdom is the principal thing, and all the things we can desire are not to be compared to it. So, we, we need wisdom. And uh, so, Eliaphaz was not wrong about a lot of what he said there. But it was misapplied truth, wasn't it? It didn't really fit Job. And so, any thoughts or questions about these first uh, seven or eight verses? I don't know why these people are called friends. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. pretty harsh, isn't it? Yeah. Very judgmental. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. <laughs> you know, we uh, every four years we have the Olympics, and it, it's a competition of strength or speed or endurance or you know whatever skills the athletes have. But uh, one thing I was reading is just saying that, uh, and, and this is still true today, but sometimes people kind of 
come together to battle wits. I mean, they have almost a war of words, and so they're they're. It's kind of like uh, you've heard of uh, brain trusts, where just very smart people get together to discuss topics, and so some of this is a little bit like that. That they they each have such great uh, knowledge. And uh, they they've come. I think one thing I was reading says that the Job is the the masterpiece of of all literature. And so, yeah. He was the richest man in the whole area, in the whole like uh-huh. country. Yep. I mean, man, God, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, His friends had to have great wealth, also. Yeah. Yeah. Undoubtedly, these were. The greatest people and minds of that day. So yeah, we're, we're this is really rich what we're reading, and and so I'm just trying to comment on it as I understand it. But um, I am nowhere near, you know, the gifts and abilities of these men. So anyway, it's it's good for me to go through it and, and learn uh, what I can. And hopefully we're all growing from having gone through this. So in verse eight that uh, Emmett read, that uh, I mean, this it this seems like he's stating the obvious a little bit. That you know, Job, if I were you, I would seek God and commit my cause to Him. Well, really, he is. Job has already done that. And then look at uh, 9 and 10. He, he says some things about God that all of us could say these things. Verse 9, uh, Eliphaz says, "...which," talking about God, "...which doeth great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number, who giveth rain upon the earth and sendeth waters upon the fields." He, uh, verse 11, "...to set up on high those that be low." And those which mourn may be exalted to safety. And so he, he says a lot of things there. And, and of course, this is, this is good advice to seek the Lord. In uh, Peter, the Bible says to cast our care upon the Lord, for He cares for us. And uh, like we mentioned, that Job has really already done this in chapter 1 as he... He uh, says that he came into the world naked, and naked he'll leave, and he didn't sin against God, and he he does uh, pray praise him and worship him, and he said uh, uh, he came into the world naked. Blessed be the name of the Lord. <clears throat> and then in verses nine and ten that we read there, he just comments it and. Uh, I'm sure Emmett and all of us can attest to this that you know with all of our advances you know it's still God that causes it to rain or not rain doesn't it and he he says that uh, and yet uh, have you ever read in the Bible it talks about the early and latter rains and I think usually the latter rain or the the early rain kind of marks the beginning of the growing season and the latter rain is the rain which kind of finishes off your crops and and makes them fuller and so some of this is prophetic which he's speaking about the uh, the rain 
in verse 11, he said that God exalts the lowly. And uh, I gave you a couple of Bible examples of God exalting the lowly, and this should be encouraging to all of us. And so basically, Eliphaz is saying, Job, if you would uh, just humble yourself, you know, and let God exalt you. And the two people that uh, I referenced here are Joseph. We, we all know Joseph. Uh, similarly, he was born into a great family. Remember his brothers sell him into slavery and put him in a pit. And his dad thinks he's dead. And he goes to prison for no reason of his own. But remember, uh, he interpreted a dream, and, and Pharaoh brought him out of bondage, didn't he? And he, he exalted he exalted the lowly. Joseph uh, was just the best inmate that he could be, and God exalted him. And the other one that I, I mentioned here is just King David. I put uh, a blank there for David. <coughs> he. Uh, <coughs> Remember, Saul was trying to kill him, and he was running for his life, and he just kept praising the Lord, and he was this shepherd boy that God made into a king. And so these are examples from the Bible of God exalting the lowly, and that should be encouraging to all of us. Amen? And then in verses 12 and 13, uh, I think, Jim, we're back to you, brother. 5, 12, and 13. He disappointeth the devices of the crafty, so that their hands cannot perform their enterprise. He taketh the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the throwers is carried head on. So again, he's stating some some truth about the Lord, and God can disappoint people that think they're crafty or they've devised something so cool and. Uh, God can bring bad upon them. And uh, I know it's in Proverbs where it talks about the foolish person rolling this stone and the stone will roll back on them. And that's <clears throat> why so on your second page of your handout, <clears throat> I gave you a couple examples. I think it's in the book of uh, Ezra or Nehemiah, this, this Sanballat and Tobiah. They try to trap the Jews and keep them from building the the temple, and uh, their their craftiness does not come to fruition. Uh, God blesses the Jews in spite of these different uh, plots and slanders and accusations. They even try to you know change the law so where they can't do what God told them to do. And the other example I gave you there is none other than Pharaoh. See if I can spell this right. I think that's right. But you know, Pharaoh did all he could not to let the children of Israel leave Egypt, and yet God, uh, God freed His people, didn't He? And He came up out of the Egypt by the blood of the Lamb. Let's uh, hold our place here and look at First Corinthians three nineteen. <clears throat> Hold our place here, and and I will have Sherry if Jim will get that, or if you can find it, First Corinthians three nineteen. And I, I really believe that Paul is 
uh, almost directly quoting the book of Job here. So go ahead and read that when you get it. When the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own practice. So it says it's written. Yeah, it does. It's written from the book of Job. We just read it in Job and. Sherry said it's written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. And so Paul writes that to the New Testament uh, Christian and to the church at Corinth that God takes the wise in their own craftiness. So, that, yeah, that's a good, good cross reference there. <clears throat> and again, uh, Eliphaz is simply trying to tell Job that this has happened to him because he was being crafty, but. And then uh, read, read verse 14, Angie, back in Job 5.14, if you would. And, and 16. 15.16. All right. So I gave you some references there on the poor. And again, these are a little bit prophetical in the sense that, uh, you know, Israel uh, becomes poor. They're kind of running for their lives and they, they don't come off the housetop to get anything out from their house. And they flee to the wilderness and, and God gives them help. He gives them hope. And um, I gave you a reference there in Zechariah. This, this was my verse uh, when we started doing jail ministry. If, if you want to turn to Zechariah 9.12, this is where it mentions the phrase, prisoners of hope. And that's what we call our jail ministry from this verse. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Do you want to read it? I'm having trouble here. Yeah, I gotta read it. <clears throat> Turn you to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today do I declare that I will render double unto thee. That's cool. Yeah. Like that. And and what I what I believe that is, I believe it's speaking to the children of Israel that were in Babylonian captivity that he was trying to give them hope while they were captives in Babylon. They were they were actually prisoners of the Babylonians and he calls them prisoners of hope. And so that is what uh, Eliaphaz speaks about giving the poor hope and delivering the poor. And one of the things back in Job 5 he talks about in verse 14... It talks about having darkness and they grope in the noonday as in the night. And again, these are a little bit references to the tribulation period. But my, my teaching point here is that the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. And I, I don't think I gave you this reference, but you guys probably all remember this. In Genesis 19, 
in Sodom and Gomorrah when the angels come to deliver Lot and his family that uh, the people, the men of the city want to have uh, sexual relations with the angels that came and they wanted to, they, they were uh, homosexual and uh, and and what it says is that God uh, God blinded them and he made him grope I think he even used the word grope uh, it, it's, it's very similar to this and it, it wearied them to find the door they couldn't find the door they were blinded and so they couldn't get to the angels or Lot and his family. <clears throat> and so I, I do think some of this is prophetical because you know Jesus says that uh, as the days of Lot, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. It'll, it'll be like that. And so uh, the devil blinds people <clears throat> and uh, they, they were given over uh, to those sins. So... I guess I I didn't put that. Yeah, I guess I did put that up. Genesis nineteen eleven. Um, Angie, why don't you read nineteen eleven of Genesis nineteen eleven? Because they were blinded. These these crafty. And then we'll go to the next section. Nineteen eleven. And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they were weary themselves to find the door. Yeah, it doesn't mention the word grope, but they they did weary themselves to find the door. They were smitten with blindness. All right. So now some of this last section, Job 5, 17-27, some of this has to do with some of the tribulation that Israel goes through as well as Job is going through. And 17 and 18, I think, Belinda, we're back to you. Job 5, 17 and 18, if you would. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrected. Therefore despise not the chastening of the Almighty, for he makes his sword and I up. He wounded his hand to the cold. Yep, and so this is a Bible principle in verse uh, 17 that Belinda read. Behold, happy is the man whom God correcteth. And and again, we we don't think like that. Uh, You know, we have a Department of Correction, Missouri, the... the DOC, the Department of Correction. And so people are imprisoned for corrective reasons uh, or a punishment. And uh, the Bible is telling us here, and it tells us in two or three other places, I gave you references there, that uh, but uh, wouldn't it be good if our heart... If we really thought, if we were doing wrong or thinking wrong and somebody corrected us, that should make us happy, shouldn't it? It's like, because I want to think right and I want to do right, but sometimes just hearing that or being corrected is hard and we we don't uh, think like that. But but if, if we become a better person for it, then we should be happy about it, shouldn't we? You don't get sharper. You stay dull. Yeah, you stay dull. 
That's a good, yeah, I didn't put that. Uh, <clears throat> that is Proverbs 27, 17. Uh, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. And uh, so I really have been thinking about this lately and just thinking in my own life, you know, if, if, if correction is going to make me better, I should invite that. I should want that. And uh, so it, it kind of changes your attitude in the midst of, of being chastened or corrected. Now, did, did everybody see that in verse 17 that she read? Um, well, really in verse 18, For he maketh sore... And bindeth up, he wounded, and his hands make whole. And uh, what kind of Hebrew poetry is it that uses the word and? Remember Jim taught us that it kind of it's a coupler between God says this and he says that. He lays these two thoughts that are kind of parallel to each other. Do you remember what kind it was? Pam, you know this. You don't remember? Remember him talking about it. Yeah. Remember, uh, so th- this was, I think this was completive, right? Yeah. The, the second line, uh, it completes the first thought. And the but was contrastive. Yeah. And the, uh, what was the third one? Compa- comparative? Comparative. Yeah. Comparative with like. Yeah, it had like. <clears throat> Or as those are comparative. So anyway, those are the types. And so I have been I have been uh, consciously thinking of that when we read these. Uh, so in verse eighteen, for he maketh sore and bindeth up; he wounded and his hands make whole. So there's two different little Hebrew poetry couplets there. And so God not only wounds, but He heals. And uh, let's look at the Deuteronomy verse. We got time here. We got about uh, fifteen or twenty minutes still. Let's. Yeah. Yes. So that uh, pain turned into joy, didn't it? 32 39 32 39 who's got that one I kind of lost track Melinda you you're you're talking you keep going All right, so he he uh, kills and he can make alive and he heals and and he wounds. So that, that says something very similar. And again, Eliphaz is speaking these things before Deuteronomy was written, before Moses lived. Now, uh, back in Job 5, 19. Uh, Zach, are you there? 5, 19? In Job? 
there's one word here I want us to see. Uh, 519. Okay. Um, this first blank I gave you is a reference to the verse right before it. It mentions the word sore. And uh, if you remember in chapter 2, I gave you this reference in 2.7. Job had these sore boils. The devil smote him with these sore boils. And so what Zach read there, and I, and I don't... Uh, I don't have I don't know exactly how the Jews think obviously but if I was really trying to emphasize something I was telling Angie I'm like you know God is so good in these six ways and also on top of that this seventh way he's like this and I'm really trying to emphasize something and, and so Eliphaz is doing this he's like like Zach read that God's going to deliver you uh, Job in these six troubles and even in seven there, there's no evil going to touch you and he mentions the verse before this this thing about sore and uh, I, I don't look at this with every verse obviously but do, do you know in other Bibles it don't, it don't have the word sore only our King James has this word sore because that is a direct reference to the tribulation period because that's one of the things in Revelation 16 that it mentions that happens that uh, people in the tribulation they have these sores and they wish for death just like Job he uh, he cursed the day he was born he wishes he could die and he has this sore boils and uh, other Bibles don't have that word sore or at least the NIV does, and I, that's really the only one I check. But anyway, there, there's at least seven things here that uh, his his uh, friend Eliaphaz mentions. He mentions this famine and death, and these are things that uh, happen in the tribulation period. He's going to deliver from war and the power of the sword. That was in verse 20. He's going to deliver from the scourge of the tongue. And, uh, you know, just people that say wicked things against us. Yeah, that was Revelation 16, 11. Was it? Yeah, cool. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, yeah about the sore? Yeah, I, I would have added my Bible. Oh, good. That's good. Sixteen eleven. <laughs> I didn't pick up on that. In verses 21 and 22... Uh, they, uh, we can be delivered from destruction in verse 22 and 23 from the beasts of the field and then in verse 24 we can even be delivered uh, from sin <clears throat> and so these are all things that God is able to do and and he does do so now, now that we've seen some of these let, let's read them uh, Pam you want to read 20 through 22 
All right. And it mentions that beast. Uh, read verse 23 also. It mentions this beast of the earth again here, the field. And so what I had you put in your blank here, just that the league with the stone and the, uh, the uh, peace. They're going to be a peace. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is the uh, reference I gave us in, in Isaiah 11 there, where the the child shall play with the adder and not get bit, and the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. So yeah, it is a a millennium. And and this league, if you look up the word league. I mean, it's in there nearly 20 times, but I think the first mention is when they make a, Joshua makes a league with the Gibeonites. And so uh, I, I put that this pictures uh, the, the peace treaty that uh, the nation signed with the Antichrist. And so that, that's the Daniel 9 reference there. They make a, a peace covenant. For one week. All right. So yeah, some of this is like you're saying, Jim, in the, in the millennium, and there's even a promise of, of old age that's coming up here. Maybe uh, Emma, you want to read twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. Alright, so he, he kind of wraps up his speech here with Job. And uh, the other friends are listening here too. And so the, they've got their pencil and paper out and they're taking notes. And and Eliphaz is saying that it's a little bit of a, a mockery to say that thy seed shall be great because his, his children are dead and his offspring as the grass of the earth. Uh, and... He, but he does show that he comes to a grave in full age. And so there's kind of a reference to old age, but Job does live to a good long life and a full age. So these things are true, like we said, but in some ways he's missing the, missing the mark with Job. And so uh, I put here that although he, say, he says many truthful things, some have veiled future fulfillment, the devil is using his words to frustrate and destroy Job, but God is using them to edify us and all generations of what is to come. So anyway, we, we, can, we can read these, we can hear them, we can uh, take to heart the things that are said that are truthful about the Lord and what he does promises his, his people. And I, I thought it was good. What, what he says right here at the last, he says, 
Lo, we, in other words, he's saying, me and my friends have searched it, uh, and so it is. He goes, Job, you need to hear it, and know thou it for thy good. And so I, I put the word good in your last blank. And, and that is one of the key... I don't know if we said this enough, but somebody... Uh, Sherry, Sherry, why don't you read... It's on your hand out there, the Romans 8.28 at the bottom. And we know that all things work together for the good to them that love God to be you on the call according to His purpose. Yeah, so all things work together for good. So... It doesn't seem like good things are happening to Job, does it? <laughs> but uh, all things can work together for good. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of watching this even with my own dad as he's been laid up in the hospital. And uh, a, couple, a couple of us went up there and uh, prayed with him one night when he was in, in uh, Raymore here at Foxwood Springs. Uh, Jeff Trude and Pat Lee came up, and we just prayed over my dad, and and it it was good for all of us, I think, just to think about the brevity of life and the suffering Dad's gone through, and maybe regrets that he's had, and we all offered Dad, uh, you know, well well wishes, and prayed over my dad, and <clears throat> and so I do think that good can come out of this, but it, it sure doesn't seem good at the time, you know what I mean? And uh, ho- hopefully you can look back at things that were difficult in your life and you can think of, wow, I, I, I wouldn't be who I am today if this hadn't happened, right? And so, <clears throat> anyway, uh, God is orchestrating even this, the attacks like Pam, you're saying, with his supposed friends. doesn't seem like they're very good friends. But uh, Job is hearing it, and, and yet he is still. He, we're going to see next week. He makes, you know, in verse in chapter six. But Job answered and said. So we're going to hear Job kind of answer Eliphaz and uh, continue on. Is there any other thoughts? This is week seven. We got thirty uh, some more to go. But anyway, we're trying to cover a chapter a week, so we're glad you're joining us online. We're going to pray and wrap up a little bit early here today. <clears throat> and uh, is Sarah Jeffers on there? Did you say? Okay. Okay. So anyway, we're glad you joined us, and uh, we're going to... She asked for prayer, didn't she, for her son as he travels or something? All right, any any other thoughts before we end today? I'm going to go ahead and cut off my uh, my recording. And this is on our website. I think it's under podcast, even though this is not really a podcast. So if you need to find it on the HBF webpage and you miss one, you... and I do, I do have some 